Hi Earthlings, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Earth Heroes podcast. This is the podcast where we speak with people who are designing companies, products and systems that promote positive change, creating a healthy planet and society as a whole. You get to hear how they ideated, prototyped and user tested their concepts and the journey that they're on and the impact that they want to have on the world. In the next few episodes of the Mother Earth Heroes, we are looking at food. What we eat and how we produce it is having a devastating effect on our planet. With the global population expected to grow to 10 billion by 2050, we're going to have to dramatically change the agricultural industry and what we eat in the coming years. In the upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking with people that are setting out to do just that and disrupt the way we produce food and what we eat. The food we eat affects not only our bodies, but also the planet. And this is probably most true when we talk about protein and how we consume it. Consumption of protein from meat and dairy continue to increase and are responsible for a majority of our arable land usage, although it only provides us with a small proportion of our calorific intake. Protein's obviously vital for our bodies, so how can we find a more efficient way of providing it? Today's guest, Mark Timothy Schotter from InSnack, is part of a revolution to change the way we consume protein. His company produces snacks from an alternative source of protein, from insects. Now, Mark has been on this journey since 2018, and in this episode, we'll learn how Mark got his inspiration for the business by thinking about his passions, but also concerns for the environment, how he went about discovering who their potential clients were with user research, the challenge of product market fit when you're creating the market, and then the challenges of scaling in retail. The benefits of insects as a source of protein compared to that of plant, uh, meat or dairy, and how insects can fit into circular design to provide food from waste. And of course, a great deal more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark Schotter from InSnack. We started off our conversation by looking at his background and some of the ideation that went into InSnack and those early years. So first question was whether he had some sort of entrepreneurial background. And this was his take on it. Let's put it this way. In different ways yes not the typical entrepreneurial family mm-hmm. so my dad um, had a pharmacy he also yeah went a bit into real estate built some projects so there's definitely some spirit there in in, in a way that he had entrepreneurial skills and wanted to build stuff but besides that i'm still very new to the topic so that's why of course i'm bringing a lot of interesting moments into my family of this roller coaster trip yeah so it's not very german the whole startup is not really the the desire for most mums and dads that their child will of course uh, uh, yeah. go down this particular route but you went you went to business school didn't you i went to the very well-known business school, Instituto de Empresas, so it's in Spain, in Madrid, Mm -hmm. i.e. business school, and did my master in business. So it's not as advanced as the MBA, but it's very similar, similar structure, 
it's just that you don't have so much work experience, of course. So, because you, so obviously you're already thinking in that direction, I suppose, at this point, you're already kind of thinking about business or, I mean, let's, it was just shift on to that, this sort of ideation bit. As I understood it, you know, the idea behind your business came about from traveling. Um, so you want maybe tell us a bit of those stories? After I did my bachelor and then I worked a bit at a big automotive company, so BMW. Then I realized, okay, I don't want to work in a big corporate environment. I want to do something more yeah, innovation driven mm -hmm. with more boldness in it. Let's call it like this. Um, so I knew, okay, maybe it's it's new businesses, startup world. So, but I wasn't sure and I needed to get some inspiration. So what's the best thing to do? Of course, traveling. Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to do a backpack trip. So then I went on for nearly six months traveling in Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand. And this changed a lot for me. Like not, not just inspiration, but also, yeah, growing as a person mm -hmm. and being much more open for new ideas, for new ways of thinking. And I brought this home with me to Germany. So you kind of left with a bit of a, I need to see something of the world, but then came back kind of changed, I suppose. So when you got back, did you then start thinking about sort of a business that you could potentially start or when did, how did that sort of that process come about? So I, I remember this moment really vividly being in a hostel and I think in, in New Zealand, because I read some books um, also about climate change. And I mean, I've seen all these beaches also in Asia with a lot of pollution, with a lot of trash. Yeah. And then there was this one book of Bill Nye, the science guy, mm -hmm. Do More With Less, where it's like called Unstoppable, something like this. And I really understood, okay, I want to do something which is having a positive impact on the world because we need to change things. Um, but I wasn't sure what's really the solution because my my passion is more into sports and it also developed much more into nutrition things. So that's why after coming back to Germany, the first thing I did um, is another internship at a startup because I just said to myself, no, I'm not going to just start a business without mm -hmm. having at least some experience in such an environment. So I went to the really high growth stage startup Food Spring in Berlin. So they were really growing a lot and it was an amazing experience to be in a business development team. And it was very much based on sport nutrition. So that's one of my passions, but I knew, okay, that's not super sustainable to source because they're sourcing their whey protein from, from I think, New Zealand and, and I don't know, different other countries all over the world. I was sure, okay, I want to do something maybe with sport nutrition, but more sustainable. So that was the first part. Um, but during my traveling, I also encountered edible insects in, in the Thai market, actually, or on different occasions. Um, so that was also with me as a memory the whole time. And then it was during my studies at IE that I went into a project and we had to come up with some ideas. And it was it was really funny because I saw a report that edible insects might be the new superfood. Yeah. And in, in Thailand, you never see like that is such a good nutritious food. Like you just see it, it's it's well made with some spices, but you don't actually know how much superpower they have. <laughs> it does seem like more of a novelty than anything else when you've, you've got these strange things by the side of the road and out of curiosity, you kind of try them, but it doesn't scream superfood at the time. Exactly. It's such a different perception. And so, so I did some more research and I was just 
shocked like why are we not using this already in, in Europe and so then yeah I, I implemented the idea into my workshop group and we took it from there kind of an investment pitch tag and worked on the idea and then I told myself yeah I want to do this going back to Berlin okay, so um, the pitch worked on yourself it, you were you were sold yeah, at that convincing. stage I mean I also um, won an business angel with that in madrid actually also uh, he's a german guy but he's living there and so i got some funding and then i had a co-founder from from my e from my group jean baptiste um, from france and then yeah we decided to go to berlin because i had my old food spring contacts a good network and we didn't do much research about which country is maybe the best starting point, which is a big learning. Uh, we were lucky because Germany was a good place to start, but there are some countries which have more restrictions when it comes to edible insects. Yeah, because I was going to say, then it's, it's one thing, you, you, the ideation. You go like, okay, this seems like a great idea. And you've got some validation at this point already because you've got someone saying, I'll give you some money. And you also got a co-founder who's saying, I believe you too. So I guess there's quite a lot going on. But what happened then once you decided you do this? What are the first challenges you faced? It sounds like you know there probably were quite a few along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, product development is one thing. I mean, in Madrid, we were already creating some prototype protein bars. So we ordered just some cricket flour from some suppliers. You could find them online already. So there was a small market somehow. We tried some competitor products, which didn't really taste well, <laughs> to, be, to be really honest. But yeah, like when we came to Berlin, I think the first thing we were struggling with was really figure out, okay, what's what's the best approach to gain quickly a lot of knowledge about the customers we want to target, like really having our core audience, because it's such a novelty, as you said, it's, it's a blue ocean thing, but you need to figure out, okay, who's actually into this mm. or how do we attract people to it? And then we need to find the right product for kind of product market fit. And that's the biggest struggle. So how did you go about that research? Because you say you, you're trying to identify a particular customer for, in effect, a need they don't know they have yet. So we try to find out, because if you, if you look at edible insects, there's different advantages. So there's the nutritious part, there's the environmental part of it. So you have different arguments. And then we thought about, okay, the first thing we, we're going to test is the sport group, like fitness people. We did some prototype products. We went into some CrossFit boxes, some gyms with surveys and asked people. That's actually <laughs> very basic approach to it. What we figured is that, yes, they are interested in into a healthy lifestyle, of course, and they need their proteins, but it's not so much about sustainability. Like the quality is also not, it has to have at least a certain standard, but protein is protein for those people often. Okay. Of course, CrossFit is a bit different than the normal gym. We saw, okay, there's not a reason for people to really go for insects. So then we moved on to the next target groups actually. So this would be more the people who are more conscious of the environment and were looking, thinking about the environment impact that they could have by eating yes. insects as yes. a form of protein. And that's just just a little segue here. Is there any difference between, I mean, protein, I guess, is not a protein in effect, I should imagine. So what is the difference between, say, eating an insect protein and eating, say, a whey product or a milk product? 
sort of protein? Yeah, so there's definitely different aspects to it. So first of all, if you compare animal protein to plant protein, you can say that the animal protein usually performs a bit better in, in, in terms of the absorption rate, in terms of that it has all the amino acids. Of mm -hmm. course, you can mix some plant proteins together which have all the, those amino acids, but um, edible insects just have everything in it. What do you need for growing muscles and, and getting the right nutrition into the body. That's actually one of the main things we really were focusing on. Yeah. So it really is, in this sense, it really is like a superfood. We're talking about yeah. something that contains everything in effect a body needs. But I suppose then comes up the other sort of thing is, is there much research or many other people that have been doing this perhaps? I know, I think maybe in Holland they've been doing a bit more and I think in America it's taking off a bit. What's mm -hmm. the kind of take up on this? Yeah, it actually started, let's say, in the Western Hemisphere, really in the U.S. There was the first startup called Exo, Exo Protein, and they started also with sport nutrition. So they did different sports protein bars and really target, once again, the sport crowd, yeah. the, the fitness crowd. The thing is, in the, in the Asian countries, it's actually something people don't value so much. Like, it's more the, the food for the poor people. Mm. So it's interesting that we, we in the West start to say, hey, this is a really amazing food source, and, but it's just very pricey because there's not so much farms out there. In Europe, yeah, definitely the Dutch guys again <laughs> were really leading the way already like 20, 25 years ago or even even earlier than that, I'm not sure now, there was the first insect farms, okay. mainly based on, on feed, but they started to do also food at some point. So they were really bold and also in Belgium, actually. So you had some business models that you've seen working. I suppose the American business, I don't know if they're actually working. You know, I mean, obviously sometimes a company starts up, but it's then the scale they mean managed to achieve yeah. and how successful they are. How did you find like once you kind of started doing your, trying to get that product market fit that you couldn't maybe just take a model from somewhere else and just adopt it and put a new label on it and say, right, we know that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, so we also had competitors in Germany already mm -hmm. when we started. So we had Swarm Protein, for example. They were actually copying the EXO model nearly one-to-one, one one, just different brand name, different branding, but also protein bars. Then there were some other guys from Cologne, Isaac Nutrition, doing a protein shake. So that was the first protein shake in Europe. But like I said, our finding in the data was clear on that the sport crowd, fitness crowd, yeah, they, they value more and more healthy and maybe sustainable stuff, but not so much that they would go for the price premium. And also we figured we need a different product, which is better entry. And we thought, okay, it's, it could be snacks. Mm -hmm. Then we did some prototypes actually on extruded products. We also had crackers, like extruded puffs, and we saw, okay, people are much more open to try it. They value that it's healthy and doesn't have all the bad things that come with snacking usually. But it wasn't really any more much about deep knowledge in terms of nutrition. We didn't have to tell, hey, it's high-performing protein source. It was just about, hey, it's a healthy snack. It tastes amazing. 
and you're doing something good for the planet. So a much more easy communication. And how's, I mean, so once you sort of shifted onto that, let's say, okay, we're going to focus more on a snack model and stuff like that. You obviously go up against probably an even bigger market of potential other options. So again, yeah. it's like that positioning within that. How did how did you go about looking at that? Totally right. So the snack market is huge in a niche anymore. And that's really the struggle I have until this day is how to figure out how do you really position yourself with the right target group? Because snacks is for everyone, usually. <laughs> um, but you should start with something. And especially the sales channels are very different. So... Whether the sport e-commerce brand, you can definitely push online. With a snack brand, your basket size in the online shop is not going to look so interesting. Mm -hmm. So we had to go for offline sales, which meant we were going for retailers, which worked well, but it was just such an intense cost structure right. and also work-wise because we had to build displays, ship the displays, do tasting sessions before Corona, of course. And it was very intense with not so much yeah, success in the end. Like mm. we were able to sell, but not have reason. We couldn't resell again. Like retailers weren't buying again because it wasn't moving fast enough. And also we weren't collecting enough data and feedback. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I, I think one of the challenges is, is that sort of trying to move on to, to scaling it and trying to figure out what that message would what do you think would actually shift this i mean ultimately you're in a market that doesn't exist and you're trying to create a market so that i suppose is one of the most challenging areas is um are there regulations or anything like that that, that also make it more challenging in germany mm -hmm. or? yeah as i mentioned in the beginning so germany is is a gray zone let's say in terms of regulation so there's the novel food mm. regulation and edible insects are allowed since the 1st January 2018, but it's just a transition time. So basically the, the European institutions are looking into it, assessing whether it can be a food source or not. Good thing is two weeks ago, the first insect species was, let's say, put to the next level. It's the the mealworm actually. Okay. So it's going to be still a bit of time process, but then it's really finalized. So that's the first insect species we're totally 100% allowed to eat in Europe or to sell and, and commercialize. So the other types are allowed, but it's still difficult. Some countries are actually against it. Germany is, is okay with it. Um, Holland is very open about it. So we were lucky to choose Germany. But of course, as long as there's not 100% clear go from, from the European institutions, it's, it's difficult, especially the thing is, it's not just about the customers. It's also about finding the right production partners. <laughs> okay. So because everyone is going for plant-based and we, we see that with the puffed snacks, with the extrusion, mm -hmm. um, talk nearly to every manufacturer or bigger manufacturer in Europe. And no one wants to work with animal protein or animal ingredients anymore. Everyone is going for plant-based, vegan, kosher. So that's a challenge as well. So basically you need to work around it. So that's why we want to set up our own production actually now. Yeah, I suppose that's maybe the next uh, option is you have to then look at how you go on to production yourselves. But would that also the actual manufacturing, because you don't, as I understood, you didn't use meal uh, mealworms or whatever. You we had. used the buffalo worm from buffalo Holland, worm. Okay. but we worked with a farm 
in yeah. Holland. Just what are the edges? I mean, I've got a couple of things in front of me. I, I just from I think it's from a talk you gave. It's uh, twenty five thousand times less water, uh, twelve times less food required for. This is in comparison with beef. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two hundred times less land and a hundred times less CO two is is put out. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there any other benefits or anything else? I mean, it seems like a no brainer almost that you would be able to do this. But yeah, I mean, and then comes of course also the nutritious part of it. So high in protein, only good fats, good omega three, B twelve. Yeah, it's if if you look on the logical data, it's a no brainer, absolutely. Okay. Okay. But the biggest challenge is customer acceptance. Bugs and insects are not food for us here in Europe. And also things like, I mean, I suppose it's then at that point, um, emerging markets and things like that. Are they open to things like that? That's just at the moment you need to crack the one market and then figure how to, to adapt from there. Yeah, I think the question right now is whether we can really establish insects as a food source in Europe. If you look at sushi, it's, or, or at, um, what was it called? Homa? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it could be the same case. Like it used to be, so Homer used to be the food for prisoners. Sushi has been like 20 years ago or 25 years ago, nothing people would actually eat. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it now, it's, it's yeah one of the most favorite dishes in Germany. So you can change consumer perception, you can change food culture, but you just need to be sure to find the right channels and the right early adapters. That's the main yeah. point, actually. Yeah. And um, then there's the thing. So obviously to build your own production or to just to move forward, you always need to be kind of raising equity. Um, how's that been? Because that's always that is another big part of a business at different stages. Yeah. Absolutely. We were growing actually 100% from 2019 to 2020. Mm-hmm. So we were still able to increase sales. We had the new extruded snacks, which some people really liked a lot. Of course, COVID still had its impact, especially when it comes to investors, mm-hmm. because all the food investors or many of those, they were really more into going for plant-based, which was growing like crazy the last two years and also in a mid to long-term future it's about lab-grown meat so we had to talk to more family friends-ish investors like people who really also think okay that's a great idea they don't have much knowledge about the industries but i'm more just believing in in it and that's what we're still trying at the moment. So we, we're raising actually end of this month, end of February, um, some capital to build the production. Mm-hmm. But we're not going into farming, just going to do the extrusion. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, uh, it's a journey, isn't it? It's quite a journey. <laughs> Absolutely. And what, what's kind of been the, the, the biggest, I suppose, uh, ch- challenges along the way? When's, when's it gone, really come up against it? Well, when you feel like people are not really into it, when you feel like before product market fit, you have the problem solution fit. And I was really questioning myself, do we really solve a problem with it? Do we really create something people want to buy and people are looking forward to have in their supermarkets shelf? I can answer the question with a yes, but it has certain criteria to, to fit. So 
the products have to be really outstanding in regards to taste, the nutrition. Um, but that's the, that's the challenge with food. Like you always ask yourself, am I really solving a problem or is it more about just building the brand and building a feeling about something? I think it's a mix actually. For me, I think what sounds interesting is the difference between say insect protein versus a plant protein and also the impact, like how much it takes to produce the plant protein compared to how much it takes to produce the insect protein. Because I'm not sure I'd imagine that the production of these um, insects is, is quite low, the cost, or is that something I'm just way off on? Because you said you want, you don't want to go down that route. You don't want to go down mm -hmm. the farming route. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to do the farming because I think there's some farms out there who are doing it really, really well already. So Prote Farm in Holland, for example, they have a semi-automatized production with robots and stuff going on. So I think it's really important to focus on, on your capabilities and skills. So mine is really building a brand and having amazing products. I mean, the cost structure, yeah, farm can be a really interesting business. Um, there's more and more farms coming up now. So there's a guy in Bremen who has the first cricket farm who, which might get um, organic certification, actually, Entosos. There's another startup in South Germany, Beneto. Lara Schuberg is the founder. She's building a farm. So there's happening a lot. But like I said, it's really important to focus. At least that, that's my direction I want mm -hmm. to go. Um, and I think the biggest advantage of insects in comparison to plants is that you can do it really locally and as well with circular economy. So that means you can use uh, waste products or side, side streams of the food industry to feed the insects. And yeah. you can use also different things in the farming process from the insects. So like fresh and, and things like that. So you can really use the full potential it's 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 amazing yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because i mean the idea of circular design something that would do and have a, a positive impact um, rather than uh, a negative one is that something you have sort of been actively looking into as well because you're more though going away from the farm itself but into the product but it's still circular design is still a part of a product what we're trying to do of course once we set up our own production now at least what we're going to do is yeah produce the snacks so what we're going to do is look at the processes how can we be more sustainable how can we also be in a certain way in a circular economic way mm -hmm. um but the farms out there and all the new ones rising they really need to make sure that they use to full potential because like 50 percent of our food is thrown away and that's it's so many tons and if you just we just need a tiny bit of it to feed all those insect farms and then we can have high quality protein source yeah no, so I, as i say um i'm you're talking to someone who really i think believes that this is going to be part of the solutions that we need to feed a growing population i mean 2050 they're talking about potentially 10 billion people on the planet and we need protein and we need to be able to yeah. find a way of producing it at reasonable levels and I, I'm, I'm not sure i say it'd be i think it'd be really interesting to know what that figure would be kind of like how much it takes to produce for the insect versus plant because that that's mm -hmm. potentially another really big yeah. sustainable and there's some center. studies going on so yeah. I, I don't i mean i can tell you that for example 
a locally farmed mealworm or buffalo worm is much more sustainable than soy from South America shipped to Europe. Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but that makes sense. But if if you grow the soy here, it's it's a different case. It can still be better. But that's something we are still collecting data. So there's the insect association in Europe doing exactly those things, like really trying to figure out the truth, like getting studies, working with universities and institutions. So that's why it's going to take a couple more years to really get all the data which is necessary to move forward excellent well um, just a couple last questions because sort of wrapping it up um what i mean you first started out what did you believe when you first started out in snack that you now know not to be true well that's a good question something i i'm not to be true. Yeah, you started um, out believing mm-hmm. when you, before you started, but now you kind of like, with having gained this experience, you go, huh. I think, so I've, at the beginning, I've been super passionate and, and driven, um, which is still the case, but I'm, I'm a bit more realistic, which doesn't mean I'm like pessimistic, like, oh no, this doesn't work, but it's more like change takes time and that's okay. Like we wanted to have it in a sustainable way want to change the food industry so if it takes a couple more years so be it but then we do it right i think that's a big thing like because 2018 it was kind of a hype mm-hmm. so when we started when we went for our first events and uh, biggest event was at the beginning the grüne woche in berlin the biggest agriculture fair mm-hmm. we were sold out after six days yeah. the thing goes 10 days and we had to get home and bake new protein bars and whatever. So I thought, okay, this is going super fast and everyone's going to eat insects. And then a year or two years later, uh, it's, it's such a different case also with Corona. So to really have this difference between a hype and hyper growth, and then to really think about, okay, how can we do this in a sustainable way? And really improve our world well i think that's a beautiful answer because i think that's one of the biggest challenges we face is that super growth isn't always sustainable so in order to grow something you kind of probably don't necessarily need some hyper growth that we see in so many startups it just needs to grow in a healthy way so what's the big dream now well i mean in i mean you've got some some directions and some ideas mm-hmm. where, where would you like to be maybe say i don't know three four five years time yeah so what we're doing now is doing a rebranding so it's gonna be maybe a different name um mm-hmm. a different approach we still gonna be in a snack segment like i mentioned gonna have our own production and yeah i hope in three years edible insects have become a better known food source in in europe and germany and that more people are open for it and in five to yeah let's say in five years i really hope i'm listed in a lot of organic retailers with organic sourced insects in my snack products and in 10 years i really hope this yeah there's a whole system of insect farms all over the world in a circular economical way and feeding people with yeah very sustainable food um and that we live in a much better world. Yeah. 
Yeah, fantastic. I think that's a good point to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Mark, for the insights there. It was um, it was great talking with you, and uh, I wish you all the luck with um, with the future. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a pleasure. I hope this has opened your eyes to thinking about alternative protein sources and what it is that we eat. It certainly has for me, and I'll be really interested to keep an eye on developments within the insect protein industry to see yeah, whether this is going to be something that helps create food security in the future. And I also really enjoyed hearing Mark's journey. It's kind of one of those startup rodeos, which he's still very much on. And something that Mark said that I've heard repeated from leaders of sustainable business is patience. And in order to get where you want to go, you're going to have to be patient. And it's not about rapid growth. It is about sustainability after all. So if you'd like to find out more about Mark and InSnack, please check out his website, InSnack.de. I know he's got some changes planned for the coming months, so please check in to see what he's up to. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mark Schotter from InSnack. In the meantime, I just want to say a quick thanks to Nikolai Grabit for his support and inspiration. Thanks to Paul Fife, the amazing podcast editor. You can check him and his music out at paulfife.com. Thanks to Maria for her outstanding research and optimism. And of course, a big thanks to Bettina, my wife and kids for all their support. I look forward to bringing you more amazing guests soon on the Mother Earth Hero Show. And in the meantime, don't forget to save the planet. We need to do it sooner rather than later.